everyone, it's Lucas. Welcome to Chain Reaction, where we unpack and explain the latest in crypto news, drama, and trends, breaking things down block by block for the crypto curious. So during the second half of the episode today, we'll be chatting with Julian Holgan, who is the CEO of NFT Project Doodles. Anita is out this week, so I'm psyched to have TechCrunch senior crypto reporter Jackie Melnick joining me to talk about all the big news this week. Jackie, how's it going? Hey, Lucas. I'm doing good. How's it going with you? Good. Yeah. So this was, you know, a fairly busy week. You were at NFT NYC, (laughs) so you got to sit in on some of these things in real life. But Mm -hmm. yeah, just generally a lot going on this week. Yeah. NFT NYC was very busy. I listened to your episode from last week and Anita is very correct that the energy was extremely high, even with the current market conditions. But it was a lot of fun. And I met a lot of people building in the space who seemed unbothered by the price action and everything. So can't let the pain slip through when you're when you're partying with <laughs> friends. I, I understand that much, at least. Um, yeah, definitely. Talking a little bit about some of the news this week. So there was some big stuff happening, or mm-hmm. at least allegedly happening, maybe not happening. So what's, <laughs> what's some of that stuff going on? Yeah. So earlier this week, it came out that there was a report that one of the largest crypto exchanges, FTX, was exploring whether or not it'll be able to acquire Robinhood, according to sources that Bloomberg News put out. And then it went on to say that FTX was deliberating internally and Robin Hood hasn't received a formal approach for a takeover. No final decision was made. So as I was working on the story, I reached out to FTX for comment and Sam Bankman Freed, the CEO of FTX, gave a statement that said they were excited about Robin Hood business prospects and potential ways they could partner with them interesting word choices here. And then they added later on that there is no active M&A conversations with Robin Hood right now. Hmm. It's also worth mentioning that SBF's holding company has a 7.6% stake in Robin Hood that they made public earlier this month and the stock surge both on that news and on the news of a potential acquisition. So it's kind of interesting to see this relationship forming in real time. <sighs> Right. So FTX, usually when a company is like rebuffing a report on a potential acquisition, you usually have a spokesperson making a statement. I think it was noteworthy that this was a statement directly from the CEO of FTX, Mm -hmm. who, yeah, owns this giant stake through this holding company. So when that happened, it was right after the Twitter deal got announced with Elon Musk. Elon Musk had just made a big purchase of Twitter stock that he had quietly amassed. And he said, hey, I don't have activist plans in his you know little disclosure. <laughs> and then this deal comes out. So people are looking yeah. at it like, hey, is this guy about to buy Robinhood, which is sunk 80 something percent in value since it's all time high and is like probably a good acquisition target if you're a billionaire. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it also seems like Robinhood isn't really dying for an acquisition, even though their firm's value is fallen like 75% since IPOing last July. They have a dual class like shareholder setup, just for like the listeners out there where its founder, CEO Vlad Tenev and the chief creative officer control more than half of Robin Hood's voting power. So for any deal of like this to happen, they need their explicit approval. And given their position and everything that we've kind of seen, I don't think they're really like interested in an acquisition, but maybe a partnership? Yeah, this would have to be hostile in all terms, potentially. <laughs> like but Twitter. yeah, it's like actively impossible without, you know, through conventional yeah. means, without getting their pr- approval. Yeah. Yeah, I'm fascinated by this. You see a billionaire buy 7.6% of a company that mm-hmm. seems like something they'd be interested in owning. I don't know. So part of it makes sense. But mm-hmm. also, I could see this not happening. I could see it happening. Who knows right now? Mm-hmm. Worth noting, this is a very valuable company. And FTX has a private valuation that's pretty high. 
but who knows if they'd be able to get some of this cash together anyway. I think just checked, Robinhood has a market cap of $7.6 billion. FTX has got a lot of money. Sam Bankman-Fried right. does not have infinite money, though, and he's been looking to spend infinite money in the past few weeks. Yeah, definitely. And I think it's honestly pointing to FTX's plans to expand even given the current market conditions, like between their $2 billion venture capital fund and $2 billion that they're going to spend on acquisitions and stakes in other companies, they're really looking to get a strong position in other companies and firms and projects while others are kind of taking the back seat, especially given the market conditions. And I feel like it points to the other opportunity of FTX wanting to dive into the traditional market as a crypto exchange. They're more focused, obviously, on the crypto side of things and decentralized finance, but we saw earlier this month when they acquired a U.S. stock and trading firm that they want to get into this space and that mm -hmm. it's just kind of a matter of time before they really start acquiring possibly more traditional yeah. means. And it seems like ultimately Coinbase had awesome timing in terms of when they went public, but it seems like they were really caught off guard in the past few months and are in some big trouble at this point. They scaled really fast, maybe a lot faster than FTX did. And now FTX is seeing some pretty like competitive trading volumes on some of the big assets. So FTX overtaking Coinbase could be inevitability potentially. Mm -hmm. Who knows with any of these things? Inevitabilities aren't exactly <laughs> guaranteed in this world. Yeah. But them being like the hub for everything retail investors could buy into. Mm -hmm. that's, and I think that's, that's what they want. Yeah. I've heard this time and time in the past, like that these crypto exchanges want to be somewhere where their users don't have to leave the platform to do another service. And if that means yeah. getting into the traditional markets, they're going to do that. So everything's accessible on FTX or whatever exchange you're using. So it'll be interesting to see how it plays out and if it actually comes to fruition. So switching gears a little bit here, and speaking of kind of having users be on the platforms that they already want to be on, but being able to access crypto <laughs> services, this week Solana announced a phone. Mm -hmm. So Solana is this pretty popular layer one Ethereum competitor, low fees, low gas, low uptime. Uh, <laughs> they, 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 they have some struggles, but they've been really one of the big rising stars of the past year or so of the crypto boom. They have gone down an awful lot in the past year or so from their all-time high, you know, they're trading at like 260 bucks. Now they're at like 35. So they've fallen mm -hmm. harder than Bitcoin or Ethereum or some of these more, basically those two. <laughs> some of these more like stable coins have fallen, not stable coins, more, <laughs> more, more stability. But they're really showing they're being pretty ambitious with this phone. So you were actually at the event. Can you tell us a little bit about what went down and what they're announcing? <laughs> yeah, definitely. So last week at NFT NYC, it was an adjacent event at the Time Center, it was a couple blocks away from like the actual NFT NYC event. Solana hosted, basically, it was really ambiguous what was going to happen, but their PR people said they were going to launch a decentralized mobile ecosystem. And they're like, do you want to come? Okay. And I was like, yeah, I'll come. If, it, if it's not big, <laughs> whatever. And if it is, you know, great. You know, good news. Yeah. So while I was there, they launched two things, which one was Saga, Saga. <laughs> an Android Web3 focused smartphone. And then they also have the Solana mobile stack or SMS as they call it, which I think is like a fun little play on the old school mm -hmm. way of calling texting, texting. And <laughs> basically it's like a Web3 layer for developers to build on the phone. So it's like a SDK and it'll give them all the tools and ability to create dApps specific for the phone. 
And it was super interesting. It almost felt like a Natalie, the CEO of Solana, had like a little Steve Jobs moment when he launched the phone <laughs> and the whole room was cheering. And it was filled with like Solana builders and fans and people who create in this space. So as you can imagine, the energy was extremely high. And someone asked him in the audience, like, why are you launching this now? Similar to what you pointed out, like Solana's cryptocurrency price isn't that hot right now and the market's not that hot. And he said it's something he, quote, fundamentally believes the industry needs to do. He went to like an Apple conference the other week and he said developers aren't working on crypto features and using crypto on mobile devices is extremely hard (laughs) for a lack of better words. And the industry is massive now. And he was saying basically it's time for crypto to go mobile. Like he kept repeating that over and over. And it became like almost a slogan at that point. So yeah, a lot of the industry is like emphasized on laptops and desktops. He even joked like some people will go out on dates and whip out their laptops just to like get an NFT mint. You know, like you should be able to discreetly do that on <laughs> your date. Very applicable to phone. the NFT yeah. NYC. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think that was really fitting to the audience. But yeah, yeah um, <laughs> it was super interesting. And it, it'll be interesting to see how this like pans out before it even launches or is available to the public. Yeah. And I mean, this is something that has been generally interesting to people in the crypto world. Like Brian Armstrong was on a podcast a few months ago and he was just like, someone's going to build a hardware wallet smartphone and that's going to be great for the industry. Mm -hmm. So it's also worth noting Solana Labs has a few dozen employees. So they didn't build this thing. They partnered (laughs) with this other startup called OSOM who had previously announced this phone. Their team is made up by a lot of people who are working for Andy Rubin, the Android co-founder's old startup that failed called Essential. So they were working on this phone. It was going to be a privacy-centric smartphone. And it looks like they've undergone a little bit of a pivot here, making it a blockchain-centric smartphone with some of those same privacy features. So yeah, basically, like it's a hardware wallet baked into the fundamental chipset from Qualcomm on the phone, making it so that assets are a little bit more secure. They're not, you know, directly connected to the internet at all times. So it's it's interesting. It's awfully ambitious, and they're saying it's coming out next year, which, like, on the eve of, uh, you know, plunging into crypto winter, one, I feel like this phone's going to get delayed. I'm, I'm willing to put that out there. I feel like even saying yeah. 2023 is ambitious, but who knows? Yeah, well, I saw it in the flesh. Anatoly had it. He's using it. He has the first one, so it seems... So hopefully there will be a handful more launched before then <laughs> or <laughs> by the time they said. Yes, um, potentially, potentially. Yeah, I yeah. think I think launching a phone is hard enough and like finding a niche for a phone, like there's a company, nothing that just came out with one and like trying to find your niche in a world where all these big phone manufacturers have a lot of network effects working for them. This is the niche of niches. Like you're looking at like someone who wants to buy a blockchain centric phone in 2022 when crypto prices are down significantly and like there's a lot of fear of like consumer uptake in the next year or two. So like this could be fine for Solana, but I am very curious how this works out for the smartphone startup building it. This seems mm-hmm. like they're kind of cutting off their potential audience a lot. Yeah, we'll I goes. mean yeah, the launch could bring Solana and other big cryptocurrencies into the big tech leagues, you know, shifting from like this crypto centric audience to a more mainstream one across like Apple and Microsoft and obviously Android because it's building on Android. But it also kind of comes at this time, like you mentioned, with like the major downturn in crypto prices. So I think it'll be interesting to see, especially as they have a number of crypto companies, including like FTX, Phantom, Magic Eden and others partnering with the SMS layer. to build on it. Mm -hmm. So going back to FTX again, like (laughs) they have their hands everywhere and having these backings might make it a more legitimate success. We'll see. 
Yes. So on the point of the downturn and associated bad things happening in crypto, <laughs> we had more bad things happening to a big player called Celsius uh, this week that we mm-hmm. talked about in the past. Um, things haven't gotten much better for them, it seems. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So as you guys have mentioned in the past, earlier this month, Celsius Network, which is one of the largest centralized crypto lending platforms out there. Yeah, it's a very big company, uh, or was, uh, paused <laughs> all withdrawal swaps and transfers for its users and what they called acting in the interest of them. And currently, they're still claiming they're acting in the interest of their 2 million plus user community. And since then, a lot has happened. And also, not a lot has happened. There's been a lot of silence based on like legal advice they've been given, allegedly. And uh, more recently, in the past couple of days, Celsius has been resisting guidance from their lawyers to file for Chapter 11 bankruptcy, according to a report by The Block earlier this week. And basically... What's Chapter 11 bankruptcy? I didn't know what it was either, honestly, because I'm not a bankruptcy expert. But I read it's like basically allowing the company to continue operating while it works out its debts. But if they did that, clients' positions would be sold at whatever the current market prices are. So wherever like Bitcoin is, Ethereum is, and so on. And so they would get whatever value they can currently. And as we are aware, Celsius is apparently resisting the bankruptcy for a few reasons. They think avoiding it will give value to the holders long term if the market recovers or maybe for another reason. And then also they're giving their community of Celsians, as they like to call them, this option for HODL mode, which HODL is a term in crypto to basically hold, hold your cryptocurrencies. And uh I think that's pretty interesting. What do you think, Lucas? Huddle mode. Well, uh, yeah, huddle mode is like huddle is the culture of letting retail investors pay for institutional gains because no one wants to yeah. actually invest through perceived bear markets. They want to ride mm-hmm. ride the wave when it's going up and kind of let the game play itself out while it's going down. But this is hilarious because these people don't have any options. They can't withdraw any of the money. <laughs> so it's just like, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> he's just yeah. crypto people famously like having their crypto accessible. Like most people who have assets. So in this situation, these people are just like, uh, I don't know. I mean, look, this is probably all going to go to bankruptcy unless uh, like I don't know how they're going to avoid it. Maybe maybe they're like leaking that they're trying to avoid bankruptcy. So it looks less bad when they actually do file for it. Mm -hmm. But if your lawyers are telling you that, I kind of feel like that's the way the wind's blowing. I don't think anyone's thinking that we're going to go into V-shaped recovery mode for the crypto markets. Then all of a sudden these guys are going to be fine. If they're bad now, they're going to be bad in a year. They're going to be bad in two Mm -hmm. years if it's a winter. So <laughs> they're like, I, I don't know. That's what a long on winter, here. Lucas. <laughs> well, oh, <laughs> yeah. no, that's that's a, that's standard winter. Yeah, <laughs> I haven't compared to the previous ones. Yeah. <laughs> yes, I haven't I haven't reported on crypto through a full winter. Uh, well, I guess a lot of reporters probably report while it's hot, and then when it gets, you know, when there are no startups <laughs> to cover or anything, they're just like whatever. But yeah, yeah, that would be bad. But it would be bad for a lot. Yeah, of it'll be interesting to see how this plays out, and if any or how many. Celsians choose to put on HODL mode, even though they're currently forced into it because their withdrawals are frozen, all their funds are frozen. So everyone has to, no matter what, regardless. But, you know, we kind of saw this with the Terra Luna situation back in May. Like there were some people who are willing to go down with the project, even as they saw it tumbling, they did not pull their funds out. And so maybe the same is happening here with Celsius. I don't know. I think that there's this very toxic culture in crypto investing where it's just like, if you hold long enough, everything's going to work out. <laughs> well, guess what? That only works out when it's a, you're invested directly into the ecosystem. 
if you're invested into something controlled by a central entity, they can go bankrupt mm-hmm. and you can lose everything and it can happen very quickly. So versus like when Luna Token was tumbling or something, people were just like buying in, aping into it, being like, well, it's a penny, like maybe it'll go back up to a dollar or something and be like, that's fundamentally yeah. not how this works. Mm-hmm. They're like billions of these tokens now. If it got up to a dollar, that would be the GDP of the world. So it's like, you know, <laughs> I think that there like is such an emphasis on just getting rich quickly, but it's also just like good things come to those who wait. Maybe that's true of Bitcoin or maybe that's true of another token with like pretty far-flung, you know, stable tokenomics or something like that. But with some of this stuff, you're just getting screwed and institutionals are making out while you're left foot in the bill. That's my point <laughs> yeah, of view. This is, <laughs> Perhaps a bit negative. That's but. quite the point of view of institutions <laughs> making out. But I think... Uh, which, hasn't, definitely... which hasn't been necessarily <laughs> true, speaking of Celsius. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think this is definitely a, a last-ditch effort on Celsius's part. And it'll definitely take a long time to see this pan out. You know, as we saw with the Mount Gox hack back in 2014, it took over eight years for the legal proceedings to roll out. Mm. So by that point, if these users are still hodling, maybe we'll been through one or two crypto winters or I don't know. We'll see, honestly. Or maybe they'll have their funds and things will be happy, but... That's just me being optimistic, isn't it? <laughs> it well, it, you know, we're in, a, we're in a super interesting time right now because a lot of these like right. tentpole institutions that people took for granted as being very stable and not going anywhere are failing. Mm-hmm. And it's completely screwing over a lot of people in secondary and tertiary ways where they're just like, yeah, we had some exposure to Luna. Yeah, we had some exposure to Three Arrows Capital. Yeah, we had some stuff dealing with Celsius. Like, now all these people are screwed, and then when things go poorly for them, it has you know repercussions for the next person down the line. And I think this has been broadly said, but I think that when all is mm-hmm. said and done, there are going to be people internal to crypto pushing for hefty regulation of centralized lenders because all this stuff is just them spending other people's money and leveraging it in very you know, mm-hmm. shady ways for something that's supposed to be transparent on the blockchain. So right. this stuff is, it's going to lead to regulation. And I think it's going to be a good thing for the industry. But it'll be funny to see the same crypto people who are just like arguing until they're blue in the face that this industry didn't need to have the same protections as TradFi because it was also transparent, start wanting some of those exact same protections. Yeah, I definitely agree with you. It'll be interesting to see how it pans out. And honestly, we're seeing the dominoes fall, unfortunately, like it's almost like a, a sea of red in crypto right now, <laughs> especially like not just in the prices, but like in the firms recovering and watching them tumble. Like Celsius was massive and seeing them float to the surface was not on my bingo card, but it was on some other people's bingo cards. But I did not realize where we were headed, honestly. Doom and gloom seems to be the trend of the season. We'll see if it's the same next week. Yeah, the slogan. Thanks for joining us this week, Jackie. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. This week, I talked to Julian Holgan, who leads the successful NFT project Doodles as its CEO. This project has done over $500 million in lifetime sales volume and recently announced its first bout of venture funding from Alexis Ohanian's VC firm, 776. Julian, it's great to have you. Thanks for having me, Lucas. Excited to be here. So uh, a couple years ago, there probably was no such thing as a NFT PFP CEO. What does that mean today? I mean, I think you're just seeing the space mature before your eyes, right? Like, I think a lot of these things started as art projects and, you know, the project was the right word at the time, um, you know, not indicating that these were going to be substantial businesses in the future. And I think, you know, what has happened in the last 
eight months since Doodles has been around and even before that has kind of really propelled the space to a different level and attracted people like me to come over into the space full time. Because now, you know, you're looking at these very well capitalized projects that need to turn into true businesses to keep providing utility and value to their community. And I think there's some really incredible intellectual property being built right now. And you just need the right kind of infrastructure, support, strategy, and so forth to scale to the level that I think some of these companies are capable of. So Doodles is really one of the biggest NFT projects out there right now. I guess if you looked at some of the ones that were pretty big a few years ago, like CryptoPunks, when that came out, no one really thought like, hey, this is a dedicated business right here. It was kind of like this is a crypto club of some sort. So I guess like what changed in between then and now? Some of the things that still make CryptoPunks special, I think, will continue, right? Like, I think people generally think about that project as fine art, right? Like, and I think that notion will certainly continue in the future. You know, I think the thing that's really changed is that a lot of the projects that launched have, maybe not a lot of them, but a good amount of the projects that have launched have really deep and rich potential character, character development that can be created, right? Like if you look at the doodles character base alone, right? There's humans, there's animals, there's pickles, there's flame heads, there's skeletons. <laughs> like there's so many different things that make up, sure. you know, the character universe that is doodles. And I think with that, people really started to think about where some of these things can go. How far can the actual intellectual property go? And that's, I think, what has really happened in that time. It becomes really interesting when you talk about IP, but then you also look at like either the valuations of the market caps of the projects or the valuations of the startups behind them. I mean, like Yuga at $4 billion, that's pretty comparable to what Marvel went for. So I guess like when you look at those two things, why are they worth so much is one question, but how sustainable is it is another? No, I, I mean, look, I think that's a great question. I have a general belief that whenever you bring cutting edge technology and really strong intellectual property together, it creates exponential valuations for intellectual property. So I, I think back to the 50s when Walt Disney Animation like really started to catch its groove. And that bore things like Peter Pan and Cinderella. And it's crazy to think at the time, but that, that style animation, hand-drawn animation was actually cutting edge tech at the time. You fast forward a little bit to Nintendo, right? That bore Super Mario Brothers and Pokemon, like some of the biggest intellectual property in the world that was born out of what was ultimately cutting edge video game technology. And I think the best example I can think of is Pixar animation. Computer animated filmmaking didn't really make waves in the industry because the tech just wasn't ready. But when it was, mm. it was Toy Story. It was Cars, Ratatouille, like some of the most recognizable IP in the world. And if you look at what Pixar actually was acquired for by Disney, you know, it, it was because of the tech and the IP together, which ultimately created what, you know, a decade earlier, almost double what Disney bought Marvel and Star Wars for. So yeah. that, that's the thing that I think is happening right now. And I think you're going to see a lot of blockchain native IP that really leans into the tech is going to create exponential valuations yet again. One thing about like, you know, Star Wars and Marvel, like a lot of these big tentpole IP franchises have seemed to like really draw on consumer nostalgia. And I guess what are like the uphill battles when you're dealing with a brand that's completely new, the art's completely new, people don't have relationships from their childhood with the characters. It's just what you see is what you get in some ways. Yeah, I mean, I look at like Illumination Entertainment with Minions, right? Like that was new mm -hmm. IP and it's gone yeah. on to see some of the best animated Crazy. success in the world. Yeah, like. <laughs> 
Sure. I mean, I look at Encanto this year, right? With, uh, you know, that was a global phenomenon that really leaned into music and inclusion. You know, I think the world is starving for new intellectual property. I think there has been a lot of nostalgia plays in the last five to 10 years. Some performed well, some didn't. But I think the world really wants some new intellectual property. And I really believe that the Doodles brand can be that. You know, one thing I think that is unique, if like some of our listeners are looking at some of the Doodles art, for the most part, these NFTs have a little bit more of a mainstream appeal than some of the other art from some of the other big projects. They're not mutants. They're not like people with their skulls like opened up like Clone X. I could see these being in like animated movies or something like that. So what, what advantage do you think you just get from the art itself as opposed to community and stuff like that? As far as scaling outside of the current NFT community, the core NFT community, I should say, I think we have a big advantage when it comes to the art. I think Scott Burntos' art style is really friendly to all walks of life. I think it's really inclusive. There's, you know, like I mentioned just before, all the different characters that are in there, like there's no real, you can't pinpoint what one thing is versus another thing. And I think that's very much mm -hmm. by design. Everybody should feel welcome being part of the Doodles community. And then if you just think of the, the characters as a whole, like it's very family friendly, right? Like we're not going to be a kid's brand, but at the end of the day, we need to be a brand that is safe for kids. So similar to Pixar or Illumination Entertainment, you know, the, the movies are targeted at multiple ages, but they are safe for the entire family to enjoy together. So mm -hmm. that coupled with the art style that I think is just like so easy on the eyes with the colors and like joyful, like that's what you keep hearing from our community is when they're at our in real life events like South by Southwest or even what we did at NFT NYC, any content we create, it just brings a smile to their face. And that's ultimately what our goal is to create joyful product and experiences. So I think it's almost become a meme of some sorts, but just kind of talking about like the community of different Web3 projects. But in some capacity, amongst blue chips also, blue chip NFTs, like a lot of people own a lot of different things. And there's a lot of crossover between a bunch of the top projects in terms of what people own what. So I guess like, is community more like a kind of a culture that is a little top down that the founders and like some of the people kind of controlling the direction of the project can kind of distill? Or is it truly like a bottoms up thing? Honestly, I think there's things that are important to us as partners in the business. But at the end of the day, we lean so much on the community to give us feedback. And I mean, just even yesterday, Jordan, you know, people know him as Poopy, one of our, um, one of our founders, he actually put out a tweet that is going to allow people to schedule 15 minute blocks with him for the next month. Okay. So he's going to do an hour every single day meeting with community members because he wants to hear, we want to hear from the community on, on what they want from us, what they need from us. The original 10,000 tokens, they have governance over the Doodle Bank, which is pretty awesome from a community perspective. And we're going to continue to evolve what that ultimately looks like. But we're, mm -hmm. we're in Twitter, we're in Discord, we're interacting with the community, you know, Jordan, I think more than any, you know, so as far as like what the community is, like, I think it's a, a collective effort between us and every single person that is part of the community. We did this lounge at NFT NYC last week. So like, we had three big activations. One was the big keynote address that we did. Tuesday night. We also had um, the Genesis factory where people could come in and reserve a spot for the Genesis box that's actually launching today via auction. And then we did a holder's lounge. And the holder's lounge was basically just a place for our community to get together and hang out. And the vibe in there was incredible. And it wasn't because of us. 
was because the community came together. The community does in real life meetups all over the world. Like we've had the community actually put together events in Hong Kong and Korea and Dubai and Singapore and the US and the UK. Like it's really incredible the kind of mutual respect and love and admiration our community has for each other. And our job is really just to foster that incubated and, and make sure, you know, hopefully more people can experience it one day. We were talking about this a little bit before on like the community at NFTNYC. Obviously, there's been a big crypto downturn in the past few weeks. How, do, how does that affect people? You know, I can I can imagine kind of like looking at your net worth going down or something like that being negative. But I guess like when you look at as the NFT space evolves, like what is the dollar amount tied to the, some of these NFTs matter? Yeah, I mean, I can look at it a couple ways. I think obviously when you have assets that are worth a certain amount of money and then they're worth a lot less, that kind of hurts. That, that definitely <laughs> yeah. hurts. But right. what I will say is it's kind of just shaken out a lot of newcomers that haven't really been in it for the long haul more than it's really knocked the core community off its feet. And I think it's actually been pretty special to see what you see on Twitter is like, we're holding forever, right? Like we didn't just get into this because of the financial gain. Obviously, a lot of people are in it for that reason, just like a lot of physical art collectors, you know, are, are looking at that as investments. But mm-hmm. I think the core community is really big believers in what this technology can do, you know, on a global scale in the future. And they're holding long term because of that. So I, I would say sentiment in the community, and I felt it really at NFT NYC, sentiment is still incredibly high. Yeah, the downturn is not ideal from a business perspective, from you know an onboarding new users to the community perspective. But I think now is the time where you're going to see a lot of founders just build, right? Like, and come mm-hmm. out of this even stronger with more infrastructure and more established processes than before. But I'll say from a business perspective, Doodles is very much diversifying its business in a way that we're not going to be tethered to the price of cryptocurrencies. You know, we, we talked a little bit about what that looks like from us, but we're expanding the business in multiple ways. We're not completely immune to it because a lot of our product is and will continue to be sold and, and uh, manufactured on the Ethereum blockchain, but that's that's part of it. Yeah, I mean, I, I wonder if you could go into a little bit more detail on that. I'm curious about that generally because like, I look at DAOs that have their entire treasuries in ETH and they're just like, all right, well, we have a fourth as much money as we had a few months ago. So like, you know, that's devastating to them. But if you're talking about building a international IP brand, like a lot of where you would be would not be on a blockchain. So I guess like how important is crypto to doodles? I guess like how important is not crypto to doodles long term? I would say it's very important from the perspective that we need to onboard new users into the space while the technology of the core community or or kind of the core areas of business really starts to catch up and and becomes ready for mainstream adoption, right? Because that's what's ultimately going to help propel doodles to a completely different level is when those two ends of the funnel ultimately hit. So right now there's one end of the funnel, which is the core NFT community, the people that really want to see product on Ethereum, people that need very specific things from us. But then there's this other end of the funnel where NFTs are kind of like a cultural movement and people are learning about them through their favorite celebrities posting about them or you know different things like that. And we're going to be building at both ends, building products specifically at both ends of the funnel. Like we don't want somebody to see the Doodles brand and their only way in is if they spend, you know, $35,000 on a floor doodle. Like that's a very <laughs> sure, sure. difficult point of yeah. entry. So mm-hmm. we want to create a product for people that are interested in our brand that's not just a t-shirt or a hat, 
So we're going to be building an NFT product for people that might engage with our brand for the first time by listening to a song on Spotify or maybe seeing a movie at a movie theater. And then ultimately bridging those two worlds together for that inevitable point, you know, when the technology is truly ready for mass adoption, like that Doodles will have been building for that moment the entire time. So I've heard some chatter on Doodles too, and that's kind of more of a mainstream product that's not going to be as as scarce. What can you tell me about that? Yeah, Doodles 2 is the next project in the roadmap. It is not the only project that we announced, but yes, it is a project that is built for mainstream adoption. And it's going to be a project that is very easily accessible from a price perspective and from user experience perspective. We want signing up for a wallet to be as easy as you know signing up for an Instagram account or a Twitter account. We want the price to get into the community to be relatively low. So again, like if somebody is learning about our brand for the first time through animated media or music or an in-real-life event, they have a very easy way of onboarding into the NFT ecosystem. Wearables are going to be the big part of the economy for this project. So this is going to be an always-on yeah. marketplace. And you're basically going to be able to mint a base level doodle and then layer on wearables to make your doodle more unique or more rare, right? Like there's going to be varying levels of rarity, varying price points. And what you're seeing all the chatter about right now is the items that are going to seed the first edition and second edition of the wearables economy. So the duplicator is a device that was airdropped to all doodle holders for free that is ultimately going to duplicate traits from the original collection into Doodles 2. And those are going to be some of the rarest traits in the entire life cycle of Doodles 2 because it's coming from the original collection. The only people that can do that are the people with the duplicator. And then the Genesis box that's actually going up on auction today is going to be another version of like seeds for the wearables economy. So there's going to be a bunch of different wearables that are you know located in that box. And these two things are never going to be sold again. So if this mm-hmm. Doodles 2 franchise lives for you know decades, the first editions of that, you know, are going to be pretty special. So that's what's happening right now. Yeah, that's that's pretty much the high level overview of Doodles too. So I guess when you talk about like customizing NFTs, that doesn't sound like something that's like super Ethereum mainline friendly uh, in terms of gas fees. So I guess like as you look at what the future of Doodles looks like, are you looking at stuff like kind of flow equivalents where you're paying with credit cards or like that very much mass mass adoption, but a little bit more maybe the core NFT audience doesn't love it? Or like, are you still interested in staying on like main Ethereum? Yeah, I mean, there is no interest in completely moving away from main Ethereum. For Doodles too, it's okay. a completely different product with a completely different set of utility with a completely different purpose. So that product will not be on Ethereum, but the vast majority of our products is on Ethereum and and in the short term will continue to be on Ethereum. So, Mm -hmm. you know, so I think like what you're going to see from us is us building that big funnel at the top while also continuing to build or, um, you know, our product for the core community. So like we announced Space Doodles version two at NFT NYC last week as well. And that is a product that is going to be built on Ethereum and it's going towards the idea of a, of a metaverse-like game. You know, so that's one of the things that we're building for the core community. And that's going to have very different utility than Doodles too. But the whole point of the ecosystem that we're building is that it's all going to have varying levels of utility and connection and bridges. Those mm-hmm. things are being built right now. But what we're ultimately doing is making the community bigger while also making sure that the original holders of the 10,000 tokens have the most utility in the entire space. 
And there's going to be varying levels throughout the entire ecosystem. Mm -hmm. As we're wrapping up, I'm curious on that part, talking about this like initial part of like the NFT space. If you look at some of the big blue chip products right now, Yuga has a handful of them. Nike bought Artifact. Like there aren't that many like independent NFT players in the blue chip space. You guys are one of them. I guess like, how do you view Yuga? Do you compete with them? Like, do you compete with their metaverse products? How does that look to you guys? Yeah, I mean, I think it's an interesting question, right? Like, I guess from a perception point of view, we compete, right? Like I used to get this question all the time when I was at Billboard too. Is iHeartRadio your competitor? Is Spotify your competitor? Yeah, we compete mm-hmm. with them for certain things, but at the end of the day, what we're ultimately trying to accomplish is completely different. And that is the case for Doodles and I think the rest of the projects that are out there. I think so many of these projects are doing things very well that we're probably not going to lean into. And I think they're not going to lean into some of the things that are important to us. So I think what we're building is very different than what most projects are are building towards. But I think like just by association of being, you know, Web3 native intellectual property, sure, we compete with them to an extent, but we don't really think of it that way internally. I guess it's unclear what metaverse means to me still, but when you look at other side and some of those efforts, like they're trying to involve all the people, all the big NFT projects in their own game. I'm assuming that you guys probably have interest in games down the road. How do you kind of decide how much you want to collaborate versus not give them access to IP that you think is an advantage? Yeah, no, I think the way we're thinking about Space Doodles is that there would be multiple IPs that would be able to take part in the game. And in the experience Mm -hmm. that we're building, it wouldn't just be limited to doodle holders. Doodle holders are going to have the opportunity to build a collection that will lead into that game, you know, that will be probably differentiated from people that don't hold doodles. But we want to create like an open world that, you know, many people will be able to take part in. So I don't think it's really as much us like doing partnerships with any IP specifically, more so, you know, just letting multiple people take part in, um, you know, multiple brands take part in the game should, you know, should their users want that. Gotcha. Well, we're running out of time here, but I wanted to end on end on a question. As kind of the crypto space has seen a downturn, there's been a lot of glee among people in terms of NFT prices going down. I think that there's like a certain subset that just like they don't like NFTs. They don't have neutral feelings on them. They feel actively negative about them. I guess like in terms of a brand that wants to access a lot of consumers and get a lot of interest, why do you think that is in the first place? I mean, I, I think like any new technology, people that don't understand it tend to write it off and you know, for lack of a better term, hate on it. Um, and I think mm-hmm. you saw that with the big technology companies of the late 90s. And I, I just, I don't think that's really any different here. I think the wave that is coming is completely inevitable. I think it just needs to get so easy for people to understand and to use that, you know, that they're not even questioning it anymore, right? Like they don't even think of it as this new technology. It's just this brand new utility in their life that they couldn't live without. That is, I think, what's ultimately coming. But, you know, there's going to be a loud majority right now that's going to turn into a much smaller minority in the future. So that's kind of how I look at it. I think history repeats itself time and time again. Fair enough. Sure. Well, hey, thanks. Thanks so much for taking time to chat. Big things ahead for Doodle. So excited to see how it all turns out. Good stuff. Well, appreciate the time, Lucas. Thank you for having me. Thanks, Julian. Thanks for listening. We'll be back every week with the top crypto news and interviews with experts in the space. You can catch us on Spotify, Apple Music, or your favorite podcast platform, and subscribe to our companion newsletter, also called Chain Reaction, at techcrunch.com forward slash newsletters. Check out the links in our show notes for some of TechCrunch's crypto coverage this week, and you can follow us on at chain underscore reaction on Twitter. We'll see you next week. 
Chain Reaction is hosted by myself, Lucas Matney, along with my co-host, Anita Ramswamy. We are produced by Yashad Kulkarni, and our associate producer is Maggie Stamets, with editing by Kel Keller. Bryce Durbin is our illustrator, Alyssa Stringer leads audience development, and Henry Pickovit manages TechCrunch's audio products. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.